the axe of the blood god. <laughs> Welcome to Axe of the Blood God, US Gamer's official RPG podcast. I'm your host, Cat Bailey, coming up for a moment from playing the Minneapolis Miracle on Loop to be able to talk to you about role-playing games. I'm here with my lovely host, Nadia Oxford. Hello, everyone. Um, Cat was very, very happy on Monday, and uh, she was very good to us Yes, because she was very happy. I was the happiest boss. Everybody came in, and I was like, let's all take a half day. And just relax and be happy. In the meantime, I'm just going to sit here and keep playing this incredible catch over and over and over again. So uh, I'm not very familiar in the ways of football, but does that mean the Vikings are going to the Super Bowl? <laughs> no, they got one more game. No. One oh. more game. And if they can beat the Philadelphia Eagles, then they will go to the Super Bowl where they will be playing in their hometown, which is actually pretty amazing. Wow. That's a that's pretty exciting. Yeah, it is pretty exciting. It's something that's never been done before. And I don't know. We'll see what happens. But either you'll have a very sad Catherine next week or a very excited and buoyant Catherine next week. <laughs> Maybe we'll have another half day or we'll have to work a double shift. The thing that always <laughs> amuses me, it's, I've said on this podcast multiple times, that sports and RPGs are not as far removed as you might think because both are so heavily reliant on stats and collecting yep. them all and everything. And that Madden got the same, the hooks into me in the same way as like Pokemon and everything. So it's funny, given how much I love RPGs, I've just, even though I grew up in a very sport loving family, like I told you about how my mother uh, broke her foot because she was mad at the Jays and she kicked a chair. Um, I grew up in a very, very sport heavy house and I just never got into sports, but I loved RPGs. It's this is the strangest thing. I don't think it's a particularly strange thing because. I don't know. I, I think that I, I for the first several year, many years of my life, I was completely allergic to sports. And I didn't really? like sports at all. Hated sports. Didn't like the culture. Uh, thought sports were for the jocks. Mm-hmm. But, and then, like, everything kind of flipped in 1998 when I was in marching band. And I was forced to watch football games. <laughs> And they held your head forward and said, look at, look at the men. And in the process, I learned the rules and got into mm-hmm. everything that was happening. And once I kind of understood what was going on, it was a lot more fun. And by coincidence, the Vikings had their best ever season to that point. Ah, fate. So it all kind of came together. And also my family has always been like pretty into sports for the most part. Like they've right. always been on in my house one way or another. So it ended up being kind of a perfect storm. But Everybody always frames this as like the jocks versus the nerds kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But the jocks are just as freaking nerdy about sports as nerds are about their individual things. It's all the <laughs> same all the stats thing. And numbers. No, you're absolutely right. It's all the, the, the numbers, rattling them off, all the stats, player names, who's going where, who's doing what. But it's just funny to, to see, for me, the, the, the jocks kind of getting all excited about their keeper leagues and their trades and mm-hmm. stashing hot prospects. And they're like... Well, I'm looking at the underlying stats and I'm feeling extremely good about like their their prospects and the saber metrics are all like really working out in their favor. I'm like, it's just like looking at the EVs and IVs of a Pokemon. It totally is. Kind of revealing in a way. Everyone has their their own little interests and uh stuff like that. All that matters to me is that someone has interests. Mm-hmm. Uh I don't trust people who aren't interested in something mm-hmm. because so- if you're not interested in something, you're just a lump. 
That's you're true. just going through you're just going through the motions. Yeah. And that can take a lot of different forms. Maybe you're really into exercise or hiking or traveling or whatever, but mm-hmm. there but there are so many people here who literally just come home from work, sit down in front of the TV and watch some bland shitty piece of TV and then go to bed and <laughs> just keep doing that cycle over and over again. If you told yeah. them what what are you into, they would say, uh, Yeah, I can't wait to live. And, and I can understand in a case like some people have depression by all means, like, you know, that's, that's really sure. hard to battle, but I can also see where you're coming from. Like, uh, I think we've kind of made a mistake where we measure intelligence by education. And mm-hmm. uh, I mean, my younger brother doesn't have anything beyond a high school education. And t- currently he's being apprenticed to fix bo- uh, uh, Bombardier planes. So that's, uh, he's so passionate about planes that they took him in as an apprentice without any sort of schooling. Like that's pretty incredible. I always think about how in Calvin and Hobbes, uh, there's a Calvin always has really bad grades in yes. school, but his parents are like, Calvin, you're just obsessed with dinosaurs. You love dinosaurs. You know all the facts about dinosaurs. Mm-hmm. Why can't you apply that to your schooling? And he's like, I don't know. They're not teaching me about dinosaurs. <laughs> <laughs> I love Calvin because he's such a jerk, but he's relatable at the same time. They really, uh, Waterson really kind of hits that balance, making him a sympathetic character and yet he brings a lot of his misery upon himself yes absolutely and you know he's he's a kid mm-hmm. he's uh, i was i was always kind of a, a middling school student i was like one of those b students and a lot of it was just that when i something really caught my interest i threw everything i had into it yeah. and did very well like history and video games and sports and not math no oh, i was not i i've i mean uh my tutor, who I had to be intensely tutored to get through math, and my tutor thought maybe I have uh, dyscalculia, which is basically autism. That's kind of like, not autism, dyslexia of math. Uh, I can't balance a till. Uh, mm-hmm. I can't be a cashier because I have come up with so many bad tills that I've been fired from jobs because people think I'm stealing. I'm like, I'm not stealing. I'm just really bad at numbers. You want me to talk to customers? You want me to handle money? I can do one or the other. I can't do both. But I'm very sure. good at sales. Yeah, I, I think a lot of people just have individual skills. Anyway, let's talk about RPGs. Okay, we're which, good at RPGs. We're both good at RPGs. Yes, I mean, it's funny. It's like you're like, I, I've got dyscalculia potentially, but I do like RPGs. Yeah. So you like them for the stories. That's true. There, yep, there you are. I'm not really into the systems that much, but I do love the stories. I've always been into writing. I've always been into that sort of thing. So, I'll tell you, I'll tell you a secret. I'm not really into the stats that much either. Mm-hmm. I mean, I am. <laughs> but... I tend to rely on people who are much, much better than me at math to tell me how to put together my party. But I, That makes I sense. Digress. All right. So we're going to be talking a little bit about RPG news, and we're also going to be talking about our latest RPG report, which is Cosmic Star Heroine, which won by acclamation on social media. Indeed, it did. Uh, it's a good game to start with for our next report because it's, it's quite brisk. It should take us uh, just a few reports to, to get through. Yeah. Uh, and this was the case... In the comments, uh, on the show notes comments, uh, on Facebook, on Facebook, Twitter, yeah. everybody was pretty keen on us playing Cosmic Star Heroine, uh, which came out last year. Yeah, uh, it probably helped that the games one of the game's creators came out and said, "Hey, everybody, vote for Cosmic Star Heroine." <laughs> I, mean, I think that helped a little bit, just a bit. But I'm pretty sure, even if uh, what's his name, Robert Boyd. Yes. If you hadn't said anything, I'm pretty sure it would have won anyway. People seem to be... Like, there's one person on Facebook who said, uh, whatever that RPG is with the chick and the seven guns, I want that one. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. Uh, I, 
I mean, I would love to continue to talk about Witcher 3, but we will have to put that aside for another time. Yep, <laughs> Last night, I even was like, uh, I want to play Witcher 3, but I guess I should play some Cosmic Star Heroine. <laughs> but then I ended up really enjoying it. Okay. But before we get to the Cosmic Star Heroine report, let's talk a little bit about some of the things that have happened this week. Uh, not a ton of RPG news, but mm-hmm. something that really jumped out at me as being pretty interesting is that rumors emerged on Wednesday that Fable is currently in the process of being revived by Playground Games, mm-hmm. who are primarily... Playground Games is a relatively new studio. They got their start in 2010. They're best known for the Forza Horizon games. And you would think racing into RPGs, but I wrote an article talking, kind of drawing parallels to what Guerrilla Games did. Right. Guerrilla Games was best known for their action shooters, uh, specifically Killzone, uh, which were kind of, eh. Their writing was definitely not very good Mm -hmm. in those games. And then they turned around and made Horizon Zero Dawn which yeah. your mileage may vary, may vary on that game. But, <laughs> Just a bit, yes. But it, there's no denying that it's a very different animal, mm-hmm. and it really resonated with a lot of people. Mm-hmm. So uh, it seems like Playground Games is trying to accomplish something similar. Yeah, and actually we talked a little bit about this on the flagship podcast, which went up uh, on Wednesday. Uh, I was saying how it actually makes sense in a way because Forza Horizon is a pretty incredible open world. Uh, you're driving, mm-hmm. but it's still an open world, and fable i'll be honest i haven't played a fable game but if they want to if microsoft wants to make an open world game in the vein of say witcher 3 uh they could do a lot worse than playground although i do hear this is a totally new team that's just broken off or they hired new talent or i'm not sure i'm not too clear but either way uh they do have the potential to make a very decent open world game yeah last year they formed a new team that was kind of separate they're like Mm -hmm. cordoning off at a different studio with the express purpose of creating an open world RPG, an open world game, right? Presumably an open world RPG, right? And uh, now reports are emerging that it's a fable revival, and there's been some speculation that basically they were like, "We're making an open world RPG," and Microsoft said, "We'll give you a lot of money if you make it fable." <laughs> that sounds about right. Yeah, and it, it makes perfect sense, especially because Playground Games is based in the UK, mm-hmm. and there are a lot of ex-Lionhead yeah. developers floating around since that studio uh, closed, so you can kind of easily scoop them all up mm-hmm. and bring them in and have them start working on a Fable revival. Yeah, I am I am definitely interested in this, because even though I did not play Fable, um, it had a, a definitely an aesthetic that that I was interested in. I just never got around to playing it. I think I have one of the titles. I don't know which one it is. But if they can give me a game that kind of has that really intriguing uh, look to it and give me an open world, I'd be happy. They always, they kind of went with British storybook, I want to say. Yeah, that's a good way to describe it. Yeah, and it was uh, a little cartoonish even, Mm -hmm. and it definitely had that well, I, I thought the humor was a little hit and miss, but it was very British humor. Very dry British humor, yeah. Yeah, well, not just dry. I would say that it was a little silly. Mm. Uh, not Monty. Maybe it was almost like it was trying to be like Monty Python or something to that effect. Right, but Monty Python, you really need to have that delivery to really nail yes. it. And they would bring in lots of kind of well-known British voice actors. I know that they did that with Fable 3. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, but I also remember it being kind of dark. Yeah, uh, I remember hearing about that, too. Yeah, there were definitely some dark side quests involving, like, domestic abuse and things in Ouch. Fable 3. Yeah, so... Uh, Fable 3... So, I only ever played Fable 3. I did not play Fable 2, which is generally the best regarded game in this series. Mm-hmm. Um, Fable 2 had the dog. That was the dog. Okay, the, the infamous dog. Where Was it Molyneux who said, we have to kill the dog or don't kill the dog or, <laughs> or some story like that? Yeah. Uh, the Fable In Fable 2, the dog could be trained to pee on people. <laughs> <laughs> game of the year, A++. Oh, that's amazing. That is pretty great. Uh, Fable 3 was a bit of a mess. Uh, I will never forget, like, Peter Molyneux was like, oh, man, I played Eco, and I oh. saw that, I, I noticed that Eco was holding the girl's hand, mm-hmm. and... I want to put that in my game and then oh, you boy. do that and it is in the game, but it feels completely unnatural and it feels just in there. Kind right? of a mess, basically. Not like you, you always have a problem when someone who has, a, well, let's just say a lot of vision looks back at a game that's genuinely a masterpiece and says, I want to do that. Well, I, I think the thing was is that in that game, it made sense because yes. you had two characters and having them hold hands was an amazing way to establish a connection. Exactly. As in Fable 3, my recollection is that you spend a lot of time on your own, and so it feels just kind of tacked on to be able to hold on to somebody's hand. But uh, I do remember that Fable 3 was quite lovely to look at. Mm-hmm. I remember that too. Uh, I liked that you could buy real estate. Yeah, that's right. Uh, you could buy real estate and it would generate money for you. And oh. it would be, and the the more prime the kind of the real estate, the better the revenue. Mm-hmm. And there were some lovely locations in Fable 3, especially, I remember there was this lake, mm-hmm. this lakeside, and there were these houses around the lakeside. And That's my house. I was, um, I was like, oh, yeah, yeah th- this was pretty, this is pretty. And I, I liked that you could have a variety of outfits and then you had a castle and had a treasury and everything once you actually captured it. So I would like those elements to make their way into a potential fable revival Mm -hmm. where in Witcher 3 and also Horizon Zero Dawn to an extent and also the Fallout and Skyrim games, you are a wandering vagabond for the most part. You you do not have a home. In Skyrim, you can buy a house. In Fallout, you can build bases and stuff. But... I would like in Fable for you to have that kind of you're like a king or a queen right. or you're in charge of stuff and you have a castle. Yeah. like a, I a, like having a home base. A, yeah, I was going to say like a, a place, like you have roots somewhere because you're right. So many RPGs just kind of cast you as an orphan or a wanderer uh, and just kind of drift with the wind, which is, which is nice. But also it's nice to have a, a hero who has a home. You know, it reminds me of Dragon Quest Four has a uh, Tornico, uh, Talon. Taloon, rather, sorry, who's the big, he's like this big, huge merchant guy who wears a muumuu, and <laughs> when you play Dragon, Qu- Dragon Quest Four, you start off playing as him, and you, you run a weapon shop, and you have a, you have a wife, and you have a son, and you, when you go adventuring, it's to find, like, resources to sell more stuff, and I just like the fact that you're playing as this guy who, who's a dad, basically, before dads were really popular in games. And he had, a, he had a base, he had a place to call home, and he had his wife, and he had his kid, and that was nice. Fable, of course, is a series that is best known for, I, I want to say, Broken Promises. Uh, Peter Molyneux, mm-hmm. over the years, has promised these extremely kind of sweeping epics that are amazing and 
all of the things that you do will have consequences. And when you walk into town, people will be murmuring about your deeds elsewhere and your good mm-hmm. deeds will be will matter and your evil deeds will matter. And they ended up being just a little bit too big for the the <laughs> consoles that they were trying to create for. Yeah, Molyneux, as I understand, was one of those developers who kind of drove his developing t- his development team to insanity with his demands and his wishes that just he'd change things and like say this is happening now and his development team would be like, Well, no one told us that and it's kind of important that we know that's happening. I would hope that maybe Playground Games can realize that potential. Yeah, yeah. He he definitely had vision, and there's nothing wrong with vision. You just kind of have to be realistic about it when you're talking about video games. I, I just think that that epic vision and that concern with consequences to mm-hmm. everything you do and the way that it changes your character is fundamental to the appeal of Fable. What's kind of funny is one of the best... Uh, consequence uh, games about consequences I ever played, believe it or not, was Mega Man Legends 2. I think we <laughs> talked about this. Where if you act like a jerk, you will they you will have consequences. People will not talk to you. People will jack up their prices on you. Roll will be very sad. Uh, I think I mentioned I once kicked a pig like over and over because it, it made a really funny squealing sound. The next thing I know, <laughs> my armor is, is totally pitch black, and everyone hates me. No one will talk to me. And the only way you can really redeem yourself is to go to church and donate like a million zenny or some crazy-ass number I never managed to scrounge up. But if Roll, it, it's so cute if Roll like, says to you, um, I'm really concerned about how, you, how you're behaving, Megan. What has happened to you? You can like have two, You have a choice of two answers. One is, I'm sorry, I'll try harder. And the second one is, leave me alone, you old busybody. <laughs> So that was a game where I realized, okay, I did a very wrong thing about kicking this pig too much, and now I have to pay a lot of money to make it better, and I cannot afford this fee. You should be ashamed of yourself, Nadia. Kicking animals? Jeez. (laughs) The pig was bouncing. It just just bounces everywhere like a big football. (laughs) I had no idea that Mega Man Legends 2 had so so many consequences to it. It does. There's even a a boss fight where you... uh, Teasel, the one of the bad guys, is using a, a sacred statue to a town to, to shield himself. And if you, it, it's hard to get around him and shoot him, him without damaging the statue, but that makes everyone like you. But if you damage the statue to get to him, that's another thing that will get the town to hate you. And if you destroy the statue, Teasel will just be like flabbergasted. He'll be like, that little punk didn't even care about the statue. <laughs> the statue, the statue. <laughs> So that's like a, a game that I'm sure people can do it a lot more with, with more complexity these days, but that's a, a pretty good starting game to, to really look at and, and get some examples from because I really did get a sense that people hated me. And I think really the fact that they jacked up the prices and, and gave me a sarcastic remark whenever I tried to shop with them, it kind of drove the point home. So, yeah, I, I think that's where a fable can set itself apart from mm-hmm. other RPGs where... In other RPGs, you are a traveler. Um, yes, the decisions that you make in Witcher 3 have a large impact on how everything ultimately ends up playing out. My understanding is a lot of people end up getting the bad ending. And I'm a little... <laughs> <laughs> I'm a little afraid to... Uh, I'm a little afraid now. I, I kind of feel like I should... I want to look up 
mm-hmm. what you need to do to get the good ending because I can't deal with getting the bad ending. But I digress. No, I was so mad in Bioshock when I got the bad ending because I accidentally harvested one little sister like I pressed the wrong button. And next thing I no, hear, yeah. I'm, I'm hearing about how I'm a terrible monster. And I'm like, I'm hearing this from a Jewish woman who experimented on her own people in Auschwitz. And <laughs> you're telling me I'm a terrible woman person because I made a mistake. Every other little sister I saved, I was good to everyone, but I'm a monster. Well, you hit the wrong trigger. Sorry. Now Sorry. You're evil. That's it. That's the way it goes. That was the thing in Mass Effect 2. And man, this would probably be an interesting conversation just by itself. But I, I had a natural character arc for my character in Mass Effect where I was a renegade in the first game. Mm-hmm. And I did a lot of renegade stuff. But then I got kind of bored of being a renegade too. And my headcanon in Mass Effect 2, my character starts to regret the, co- the consequences of her actions. Mm-hmm. and reform and change and so i had an arc in my head for this character the problem with mass effect 3 was that it was like oh were you a renegade well that was bad you got to be a paragon oh yeah so if you made renegade decisions you were going to be punished you got to be a paragon and i was yeah. like oh oh dang so there's no opportunity to change no well, that's, that's lame that, unless you write fan fiction <laughs> i guess so i was writing fan fiction in my head <laughs> <laughs> that's always the funnest fan fiction yes i love having a headcanon but uh so with fable i i think that there can be ownership of the world mm-hmm. uh where you are leading the forces where you are enacting the changes where you are the head of the armies and the countries and you're not just a vagabond so yeah we'll i see. think you're right I think that would really help set Fable 3 apart uh, because, let's face it, open worlds are just becoming more and more common and they're really going to have to set themselves apart from, from here on in, given how excellent like Witcher 3 is and, and Skyward Sword. So that would be a really good way to distinguish itself. Yeah, I wish I wish Playground Games the best in beating Witcher 3 because, man, they, that game sets the bar so high it's, yeah, for yeah. side quests. It's not even funny. The, the optional stuff is ridiculous it could be main quests in so Mm -hmm. many other games and we're just now at a point where it's not good enough to just do fetch quests it's not good enough to be like go and get 50 of the thing and then the person will be happy (laughs) yeah happiness through 50 chuchkas that (laughs) doesn't cut it anymore yeah exactly so the bar is really high now Mm -hmm. and i mean I think Playground Games can potentially meet it because, I mean, the tech that they use uh, is amazing. And Forza Horizon 3 is a a huge game. It's huge. It's huge. And it's like I was saying on our podcast, even though it's not a game I play regularly, when I do play it, I just really enjoy it. I think they make really interesting open worlds. And maybe it's the whole speed aspect of it. But hey, if you give me a nice swift horse, I'll be happy. (laughs) I love Forza Horizon 3. That game is amazing. Mm -hmm. Uh, I find the conversations kind of dumb. They're going for a very brotastic, yo, let's go party. And, let's go driving, oh, bro. Woo. And let's I'm go just fast, like, okay. Bro. Yeah, yeah, whatever. Uh, okay, brosif. But <laughs> so I hope that they don't bring that into a fable revival. That I don't think they will. I think they'll be fine. Yeah, I think it'll, I think it'll be fine. I think, uh, for one thing, Microsoft's going to throw a lot of money at them. Yeah, I, I think Microsoft wants to... Um, playground is a private studio they're not a subsidiary so they would technically be a second party studio Mm -hmm. i believe is the term because they develop exclusively for microsoft right but i think that if they pull off 
either a new IP or a Fable revival. And it is up there with Horizon Zero Dawn or Witcher 3. Then, (laughs) well, Playground Games is for a relatively young studio. They're only like eight years old. Mm -hmm. Will vault into the top tier of developers, like, period. Yeah, and Microsoft really needs one of that right now. (laughs) Several of that, but one's a good place to start. Yeah, I think that's what they're trying to do right now is yeah. kind of rebuild their stable of internal development, which uh, is not something that can ha- hope happen overnight. Uh, they no. really, they really profoundly screwed themselves. No, as Mike said, that's not a one-year problem. That's a three-year problem. <laughs> so they're going to be working on that for a bit, but I'm glad they're starting. Yeah, well, they tore it all apart like between 2009 and 2013 in mm-hmm. going all in on the Kinect. And that was just a catastrophic decision that set them back for the entire generation pretty much. Yeah, and they kind of cannibalized Rare for that, too, which makes me sad. Yeah, well, Rare, ever since Microsoft bought Rare, like, they just haven't been the same. And, like, no. Key Talent departed, and they're just not the same studio. No, not anymore. No, it's really sad. Yeah, I mean, it is what it is. It has a lot of history. Uh, UK In the UK, Rare is, like, almost worshipped mm-hmm. in a lot of ways, but uh, I digress. Uh, so, I... Don't think that we're going to see this game before 2019 at the earliest? Yeah, no way. But we might see something at E3. Maybe. Yeah, it sounds like they got the team together last year. And okay, so we might see a sizzle reel or something. RPGs take a long time to make. Yeah, they're, they're, they're not exactly overnight endeavors. Like, okay, so Witcher 3... So Witcher 2 came out in 2011. Witcher 3 came out in 2015. Mm-hmm. That was four years later. Mm-hmm. I don't know exactly when they started. And this was from a season team that is used to making these huge games. Horizon yeah. Zero Dawn was pitched, I think, back in 2011. It was pitched right after Killzone 3. Right. And ultimately came out several years. It came out last year. Yes, so, there you go it's a long process to make these games they're some of the hardest games to make as nintendo discovered even just trying to make breath of the wild yeah and then they had to transfer it all to the switch oh by the way you're making this for the switch now too bye (laughs) and not only that playground games has always been working in conjunction with turn 10 they've always had help in that regard and i'm sure Mm -hmm. that they'll get plenty of resources but (sighs) lots of luck to them i wouldn't (laughs) 2019 2020 absolute earliest i'd even say 2020 but uh, we might see Cyberpunk, uh, not, if not this year, maybe early next year. Beep. Ah, oh, that would be really exciting. I, I'm ready. I am so ready for more CD Projekt Red. I have to play Witcher 3 before I decide if I'm ready or not, but something tells me I'll be okay, even though I'm not really huge into Cyberpunk stuff. Yeah, me neither, but uh, I don't know. Word on the street is that they're going to be showing at E3, so we'll see. Yeah, I can, I can understand that. Like, that's what the title title is. All right, one last thing. Uh, Darkest Dungeon came out on the Nintendo Switch on Thursday. Did you go for it? Uh, I got a code and ended up downloading it. And uh, so this is what I'll say about Darkest Dungeon on the Switch. I think that if you don't want to play it on PC, that this is the best version to buy. Right, so not mobile then? Uh, No. The problem with the the mobile version, which... I've put a lot of hours into now and have actually generally enjoyed. The DLC's not out for it yet. Right. But it's out for the Switch? Uh, yeah, it is. It, okay. It'll be available at launch. You can buy the Ancestor version uh, mm-hmm. or you can download the DLC online. Uh, and the game will be with the DLC like thirty nine ninety nine. Right. Which, uh, fair amount, but also you get a ton of content for that. Uh, 
So you get the DLC in the Nintendo Switch version. Uh, unlike the PS4 or PSV ver- Vita version, you can seamlessly switch between playing on the TV and mm-hmm. on your Switch. Mm-hmm. The aspect ratio on the Switch is actually okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it looks good on the screen. And the text isn't the text is a little small, but not too small, and it's not nearly as small as it is, especially on the iPad Mini right. when I'm playing. Uh, you have to rely pretty heavily on buttons because, well, uh, the yeah the touchscreen. Even though the Switch has a touchscreen and it t- technically works, the windows are a little kind of small to yeah. do tapping. So yeah. it's better to just use the buttons, and it's a, a slightly awkward given that I'm used to playing on the iPad where I can just tap around. It's the kind of game where you want to tap, but it doesn't feel terrible to Mm -hmm. be playing with the actual, you know, just the buttons and everything feels like kind of like a regular RPG to be perfectly honest. And once you kind of, when the, uh, when the DLC comes up for mobile, you're going to switch back to that, so to speak. Probably, uh, because I like playing on the PC, but the PC requires a lot of kind of commitment, and I like being able to just grab my iPad and go on a run and then put my iPad away and yeah. do something else. Um, or be watching a show and playing it on my iPad. Yeah, you lose a lot of the atmosphere and that kind of thing. But And I think the Nintendo Switch can be that. If I had a choice and I were starting a brand new game, I would be pretty torn between whether I would want to start on the Switch or the iPad. Because on the right. one hand, I bring my iPad all over the place and... It's just natural to go into the iPad and start playing. Mm-hmm. But the Nintendo Switch version is better. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair enough. Yeah. So regardless, I've talked a little bit about Darkest Dungeon already on this space. Uh, if you have not played it, I strongly recommend it. It is a great, great RPG that it doesn't have much of a story, but a lot of the story can be found in kind of the the extraneous or the extra material that you find around yeah, the dungeons. Like, yeah, kind of background it's, noise. It's a dark story. The art is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love how all of the different character classes have their own personalities and strengths and weaknesses. The So many different permutations of parties. And the DLC, I mean, it's interesting. It really adds a lot, I think, mm-hmm. to the actual game. And... Man, when you really get into it, you really, really get into it. You go hard or go home. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, And it feels so good to have a great party with tons of trinkets, bringing Mm -hmm. them into those veteran dungeons, beating those veteran level bosses who are much harder. (laughs) Can do do a lot of damage and really like make you sweat out uh, encounters. And I just haven't played any RPG like it. So if you're looking for something good to play on your Nintendo Switch... I, I would certainly recommend uh, Darkest Dungeon. Yeah, especially if you want like a real high-stakes RPG. Uh, those things are pretty rare. Yeah, and the Nintendo Switch is being flooded with indies at this point and ports yeah. and everything, but Darkest Dungeon really stands out to me. So mm-hmm. uh, so if you're going to get one, uh, I wouldn't get it on the Vita because the Vita screen is a little small. Like yeah, I know that people were saying, I enjoyed it on the Vita. Uh, I'm on the <laughs> Switch. And PS4 is good, but... And it's fine to play it on the TV, I suppose, but I think I like having the flexibility of the Nintendo Switch. It's just, like so many other indie games, like Stardew Valley and everything, it Mm -hmm. feels like it was almost made to be played on the Nintendo Switch. Yeah, definitely. 
All right. So that is all of the RPG news for the week. Let's talk a little bit about Cosmic Star Heroine, Nadia. All right, so we have commenced the Cosmic Star Heroine report, uh, and I suppose it's only fair to kind of give a little background mm-hmm. on Cosmic Star Heroine, Nadia? Yeah, I would think so. Um, it's a RPG by uh, Robert Boyd. Um, Z-Boyd Games, uh, Robert Z-Boyd Boyd Games. and his uh, yeah. a couple other people, yeah. Yeah, and it's, uh, it's a fi- not exactly short, but it's definitely a brisk RPG. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of in the vein of Chrono Trigger, but very much its own thing too. I was see, I've played quite a bit of the game, but I'm starting again for the sake of the report, and it's been a while since I played it. And uh, I was just kind of taken by how clever the battle system is because it makes you think, but it doesn't feel tedious. Every every encounter really does have meaning. Uh, did you feel that way? Uh, I think we can get to the battle system in a little bit, but mm-hmm. uh, let's keep talking a little bit about the, kind of the overview of the game. Um, I would say. So the battle system, it's interesting that you draw comparisons to Chrono Trigger because I'm not necessarily seeing it. Mm. Uh, the closest comparison is, yes, you you do run into enemies who are on the overworld map and then you start going. But And there are, and the characters do synergize in some ways, yeah. but as, uh, so far I haven't seen any dual text or triple text or anything like to that degree. Um, I think it is almost sort of more like an MMORPG. Where, yeah, I guess maybe you're right with the icons. Well, maybe in the sense that you need to get all of your characters working together mm-hmm. to build up toward a massive burst of DPS. And okay, maybe it's like Chrono Trigger in that regard, because right. you're kind of keeping track of the turn order, mm-hmm. and you're thinking, okay, uh, let's see, Chrono Trigger had that ATB system, mm-hmm. This one has more of a strict turn order. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, so basically each character has their own set of abilities. And if you use an ability, it is X'd out. Mm-hmm. Unless you can repeat it. And once you've used all of your abilities, you have to rest in order to refresh them. And yeah. that takes a turn. Yeah. And so you have to time out your buffs. And also you have to time out the buff and the attack and also your character will have style. Mm-hmm. And if they start glowing yellow, they're going to do a ton of damage. Yeah. So the perfect attack is one where you can time out and predict uh, the optimal time to use all of the different buffs and everything. And then just de- deliver a devastating alpha yeah. strike yeah, on a bunch of enemies. So um, it kind of looks like Fantasy Star, uh, especially the cutscenes. Yeah, it's very, um, the atmosphere is very sci-fi fantasy in the way that you're right, Fantasy Star is a comparison because you have the the futuristic cities and uh, the alien hybrids walking around, Uh, Mm -hmm. kind of a grim atmosphere that you start out with. You you go to different environments, but you start off in a city of eternal night, which says it all. Yeah, it really stands out just immediately. It is clearly uh, heads and shoulders above the games that have kind of come before it uh, from Z-Boy Games. Uh, I really liked Cthulhu Saves the World and uh, the Penny Arcade games, uh, which mm-hmm. they did episodes three and four. But from a graphical standpoint, the the sprites are much bigger. 
Mm-hmm. Everything looks much more elaborate. The battle system effects are really impressive. Yeah, actually, they're really nice. everything about this game looks phenomenal. The the bosses in particular are gigantic and extremely yeah. well detailed. Yeah, you go up against some huge bosses, and there are so many. I always appreciate sprite-based games that give us little individual animations you might see once or twice, but they're there. Yes, exactly. I love that effort. They're they're doing the Suikoden thing where uh, the sprites will be extremely kind of, they'll have like flourishes, right? Yes, yes. Where you're like, oh, you totally didn't need to do that, but that's awesome. (laughs) You did that. Thank you. Yes, exactly. And the the characters are so you have Alyssa to start who is your main character she wears a a beret a beret <laughs> um, yeah a raspberry beret and she has a staff that can kind of shoot a lightning bolt and that kind of thing which is a cool weapon cuz it can club people and shoot things and then you also have Chan uh who looks like she's straight out of like an early 90s anime with yes. the headband and everything yeah like late 80s early 90s Late 80s, early 90s. I'm, I'm trying to think of who she reminds me of. She looks like a character who might be found in, like, Dirty Pear or something. <laughs> For some reason, I was thinking a Street Fighter character, a Street Fighter anime. Uh, like. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure, but definitely has that kind of 80s look to her, for yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. And she has, uh, she's one of my favorites because she has, what's it called, Gunmancy, which is basically, yes. you know, magic with guns. Sure, I, I can dig it. One of the first things you see, the first time you're introduced to her, everybody gets a uh, everybody gets an introductory cutscene. You see her sp- spreading out and like all of her like seven guns or whatever yeah. are floating. <laughs> That's <laughs> pretty, pretty rad. Yeah, it is a party based RPG. Mm-hmm. Um, you can have up to four party members, and the way that it works is so you equip. So you get abilities just naturally as you progress, but you can also equip items that have additional abilities, right? which can only be used one time during a battle, I believe. Yeah. And then you also have programs, which you can attach uh, uh, just overall, like for that can be accessed by the entire party, but can only be used once. And these programs are usually very powerful. Mm-hmm. They will heal a give you a huge burst of healing or they will um or or whatever they'll buff the party they'll give you shields and so you want to take into account uh, no wait i could be wrong i i think the programs are per character it's very complex uh this is what z-boy games loves to have a very complicated battle system yeah i have to admit even though it sounds complicated or making it sound complicated once you Mm -hmm. get into it especially when i went back to it i thought to myself oh i'm gonna have to relearn the battle system but then i'm like oh okay i remember all this this isn't so bad yeah no exactly uh i mean it's actually fairly easy to pick up and it does a good job of tutorializing everything and kind of working your way through it and it does the classic thing of like it starts you off slowly and then mm-hmm. by the time you get to like the third major boss that's where the game starts to turn the screws on you a little bit and yeah. make you really work and not just be able to just kind of hammer them until they're dead you have to really synergize the different abilities yeah you really have to uh, as you say synergize like you have to know uh first of all what every character's capabilities are like for example dave is the hacker of course, Mm -hmm. and uh, he specializes in buffs and debuffs. Uh, But again, since most of the time he can only do like one special attack at a time before he has to recharge, you really have to, you really have to be careful about balancing things out like your, your turn and your, 
your your synergy and your uh, sparkle, I think it's called. <laughs> <laughs> Everything has great names in this game. So the Z-Boy folks uh, and I have somewhat similar tastes in games. Uh, they're the kind of people who are very systems focused and mm-hmm. they like to have the story move at a brisk pace. And that is exactly what happens. Right from the start, you are dumped into a dungeon mm-hmm. uh, with Alyssa and you're battling and you're running around and it really doesn't uh, it really doesn't kind of stop to take a breath like much at all. No, it doesn't. Uh, although it is quite easy, it is obviously a tutorial dungeon, but it's not um, it's not a boring one. Like you're, it, it, since the systems are kind of hard to or a little bit complicated, you do kind of need that time to get your bearings, and they they set that they pace that really well. Yes, and the music is amazing. Oh, the music's fantastic! I forgot how much the music in this game rocks. Oh, it's so good, especially the battle music. But you're just kind of rocking out to it at all times. It's very. Yeah. Very Super Nintendo, I want to say. Very, very or, Super Nintendo. has a really good rhythm. Uh, my favorite, One of my favorite tunes, you actually hear it early on, is like uh, Alyssa, she has a hostage situation, and she finds out there's a bomb in the building, and she has to go run and def- defuse it. And it has this really amazing action theme that I, I still love. Uh, it's also, PC Engine. It has a little bit of that PC yes. Engine vibe yes. to it, too. Come to think of it, uh, those, those cutscenes remind me more of the PC Engine than anything. Mm. Or Sega CD? <laughs> So a little bit Sega CD-ish, but something about the PC Engine kind of had a staticness, a little bit of movement mm. with that color palette. Uh, Sega CD was a little more, uh, not exactly beautiful or by any regards, but it did move around a little bit more. Oh, no. Sega CD would have, like, animation. They would be actually animated. Yeah, where... yeah. whereas uh, the uh, PC Engine would have a little bit of animation. Like, have you ever seen the cutscenes for... Uh, Rondo of Blood. That's I was about to say Rondo of Blood is what it was reminding yeah. me of. Yeah, so... Uh, I mean, it also pulls from some other games as well. Uh, they do love their references. Somebody was pointing out that initially you fight uh, like a terrorist leader or something, and then they end up getting into their power armor, and you have mm-hmm. to fight them again. And somebody's like, oh, there's Vial in his power armor. <laughs> You're right. I never even thought of that, and here I am, the Mega Man X fan. But that's great. That's true. Uh, and one of the villains in the game, I, I think it's the the terrorist leader at the beginning, uh, has a Kefka laugh. Yeah, yeah, the ha ha ha, like deep like rup, 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 rup. laugh. You're right. Uh, so they they definitely pull from a lot of the 16-bit RPG tradition, but this is certainly much uh, a much higher level. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I have played to the point, Nadia. So what happens is you kind of move really fast from situation to situation. You're initially in a hostage situation. That's where you're introduced to the main characters. And then you go on a new mission and your goal is to break into a research facility Mm -hmm. and you're recovering these artifacts. And you have to fight uh, this monster that keeps regenerating and uh, he's initially a regular monster, then he becomes like a cybernetic monster. Yeah, that's a, that was a... You were saying how the third boss is kind of intense, but I think by the second boss, they start testing you a bit. Yeah, just a little bit, uh, for sure, though. I didn't really have any trouble until the the, the last boss that I fought. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you you recover the artifacts, but your character has a dream. Um, a bad dream, uh, which is rendered really well in a nice little... Uh, a, a nice little cutscene yeah. where you're seeing um, it's very 
they're clearly having a little bit of fun with the style of the storytelling and everything and then you get to the point where they're like oh my god the agency is evil and they're using these (laughs) artifacts for evil and i'm like called it (laughs) (laughs) yeah they kind of lay it out there right away um, I think you even meet up with some of the terrorists, the quote-unquote terrorists, uh, in your fir- in your second mission. And if I'm not mistaken, can't you you save one? Like you can, you find out basically they're not so bad. Oh no, I I never had a chance to save them because they all died. Oh well, too bad. But maybe you, I did it wrong. Maybe I maybe I had an opportunity to save them, and I'm actually a terrible person. I might actually be misremembering because I didn't get as far as you because I got lost in chapter two. I got I started wandering <laughs> around a bit. But uh, I do. I'm just remembering from my previous playthrough, so I might be misremembering. But I do remember that that big reveal, story reveal. Oh no, they're evil. What if we're yes. the bad guys? What if we're the baddies? I was joking on. Uh, I was joking on the stream when I was playing on Tuesday. I was like, "Well, I look forward. I see. I saw an agent who looked kind of like menacing and was kind of a jerk and put on her sunglasses. And I'm like, oh, I look forward to fighting you when the agency ultimately turns out to be evil. <laughs> the one who looks like Laura Croft. Yeah." Yeah. Angelina so, Jolie, Laura Croft. So these characters, uh, they make a decision really quickly. They're like, oh my God, they're using these artifacts for evil. They're going to mind control everybody. We must fight for good. <laughs> Which, uh, from, I understand that they want to keep the story moving pretty briskly. Yeah. But you've just met these characters, and so you don't know much about them. You just know that they're agents in this agency. You don't know, like, what are their allegiances to this agency? Mm-hmm. Who are these people? Where do they come from? So the decision to betray the agency doesn't hold a lot of weight. No, it, it does. Like, I understand they're also kind of going for that more 16-bit simplistic story style. Mm. But on the other hand, Final Fantasy III was not a simplistic story. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I think that's the trade-off of trying to keep things moving at a breakneck speed. Mm-hmm. Like the rather than putting the decision to betray the agency in like the mill or the uh, the trade off is well yeah you get going really fast but yeah. you're like okay so they've decided to betray this agency that I don't know what their loyalties are to this place or if they grew up here or, or if they're like betraying their friends or whatever yeah yeah I think you do learn a bit more about Alyssa at least um, but uh, you're right you don't really learn anything too much in the first couple of hours which is when you really kind of want to get to know a character and say okay why are you making this big decision to upend your entire life i I always thought that one of the absolute best uh portrayals of this was in babylon 5 which you haven't watched babylon 5 you should it's kind of hard to find but and it's very 90s so it doesn't hold up super well but (laughs) uh spoilers if you actually do want to watch babylon 5 uh maybe skip ahead a minute or two but Uh, spoilers for this 20-year-old series at this point, but <laughs> the general thrust is around the middle, uh, around season three, uh, the Earth the Earth Alliance turns out to be like they've been corrupted from within. Mm-hmm. Uh, the president is out of control. <laughs> they have this Gestapo-type organization that is trying to take over. Uh, a rebellion, like mutinies and rebellions have broken out, and the main characters have to make a decision. And you can feel the full weight of like, oh my God, like there's no going back. Yeah. If we go independent, if we side with the rebels, that this is it. Yeah. Right? (laughs) And you can, for the past like three seasons, like you've seen them be 
loyal to Earth and you've been like, oh, Earth has been the good guys. We're on their side and everything. Yeah, like things are kind of dark, but everybody is trying to, we're all on the same side ultimately, right? Yeah, of course. Uh, So when they ultimately decide, all right, we're we're doing this thing. We're break away from Earth. It's one of the watershed moments of the mm-hmm. entire series. Mm-hmm. And then you're rewarded with this just frankly amazingly kick-ass battle um, as Earth uh, is fighting each other, and you feel all of the stakes and everything that has been building up over the course of like more than a season at this point. And it's great. It's the high watermark of the entire series. So yeah, and. Uh- uh, I'm thinking maybe they should have done at least one more mission with where Alyssa and everyone's still with the agency and maybe take it from there instead of making it maybe like build a, it up a little more build it up a little more instead of making it a, a dream sequence thing <laughs> well not it's not just it's like you get the artifacts and everybody's like oh my god they're using the artifacts for evil oh, right, like right. building up that you are slowly realizing that you are working for a corrupt agency rather yeah. than just being like oh my god they're evil and then just having the director emerge and go ha ha i am evil <laughs> but uh i mean i i don't like to uh was it armchair quarterback storytellers uh mm-hmm. they do what they do for the reasons um Absolutely. it was just something that stood out to me as something that didn't hold a lot of weight because i haven't gotten to know the characters yet yeah no i agree with that even though i i do like the characters a lot for what they are um yeah they're fun so far yeah, they're, they're fun to follow. They're fun to use in battle, that's for sure. And uh, you are still interested in their fates and what they're going to do because this is a game where you're on the run a lot. So you yes. see a lot of interesting places. And uh, I like seeing how the characters interact with each other and with the different weird alien worlds they go to. So you have to go and recover the artifacts, and you do. And then you fight a, a pretty tough boss. And I think this is where the battle system really starts to come together because that's where... Uh, Boris Susovsky, uh, mm-hmm. a.k.a. Sue, uh, joins your party. And you initially think, oh, God, I'm going to have to fight that guy. Yeah. But then he does this little smile and he's like, nope, I'm with you. And you're like, oh, oh thank that's God. good. <laughs> he's a uh, bald guy with a beard. Yeah. Was this the robot boss? Um, oh, is, yeah. This is, uh, no, no. This is it looks like a, bo- a robot, but it's actually like a dragon. It's like a okay. robo dragon. Okay, I'm thinking of something else, but that was a that was a pretty hard battle too. But I I love Sue because as I was telling you earlier, uh, I'm pretty sure one of his accessories is like a paper tie that he got for Father's Day, mm-hmm. and that just just one of those little character touches that kind of says it all. Well, when the battle actually commences with the four characters, um, well, it's pretty interesting at this point because you've had a chance to acquire a bunch of. Uh, programs and everything and kind of set up your party Mm -hmm. and this is where it gets fairly challenging i would say so uh because the the monster is able to hit your party your multiple characters in your party for large amounts of damage Mm -hmm. um this is one of the games where like you only have like 99 hit points and they're hitting for like 40 yes yes but there is actually um, a system in the game where you can survive a deadly hit. It's a little bit like Earthbound in that regard. Uh, I haven't been hit with a potentially deadly attack yet, so I can't remember how it works. But you can you have a chance to save yourself or uh, go into a desperation mode that lets you make uh, make like twice as much damage with every attack, and that's extremely handy. Uh, but you're right in that that's really a battle that tests uh, your your knowledge of the systems because, for example. Chan can uh, focus, which lets her, on her next attack, uh, make like a all uh, 
make like a single target attack become an all target attack. So if you can target, say, her healing beam for everyone, that will save you. But you really have to plan ahead. You really have to plan ahead, yeah. Because if you're like going, oh, I really need that healing beam now, you're like, oh, but I should have planned ahead and like anticipated mm-hmm. that my party is going to be low on health because if you decide on the moment, oh, I'm going to heal everybody, you go, oh, but I need to set everything up first. Yeah, yeah. You can also do a lot of damage. So I had a system where I had an ability that would give her autofocus to start the attack or to mm-hmm. start the to start the battle. So all I had to do was have Alyssa start by using Inspire to make her do more damage. Mm-hmm. And then I could break out her fire torch. Yes, that's great. And basic, and hit everybody across uh, all of the enemies for large amounts of damage. Um, mm-hmm. I could have Dave stun everybody. Or I could have right. Dave stun the most powerful enemy. Yes. And I could use Echo on chan to hit another uh to use the fire torch again mm-hmm. without having to rest and do more damage yeah uh, there's there's a lot of clever ways to get around uh uh difficult challenges in this game um against the the boss on the bridge uh the the boss that we were discussing who's kind of like a dragon mm-hmm. um who is summoned by the main villain director steel or at least i think they're the main villain so far they seem to be the main villain <laughs> They have, like, steel boots. Yes, they have steel boots, and they look evil. They look evil. They have that look in their eyes. And he's, like, he's he's giving the supervillain speech about how he's going to reform the world by uh, removing all, like, strife and, yeah, and hardship uh, yeah. by mind-controlling them. <laughs> There's actually um, a, a line I just remembered where he gives you, where he tells Alyssa, you know, you need to be briefed for your next uh, mission. And then he says something like, uh, the agency rewards people who are faithful to it. Don't forget that. Mm. So that kind so, of says it all. Hint, hint. Hint, hint. And then you actually talked to an NPC in the headquarters who was talking about how there was a sweep of like contraband items or something out of people's lockers. And Alyssa says, oh, well, if you have nothing to hide, it's not a problem. And the other, the other girl says, yeah, but this guy just kind of got pulled out of the and executed for what he had. <laughs> and I don't know what he had. Dark. Yeah, it is kind of dark. Sue is interesting, by the way, because uh, Sue is more of a... Sue is kind of a tank... He's a tank and a, I think a brawler, like a melee fighter. Tank, melee fighter, who is best on counters. Mm-hmm. So what you want to do is you want to buff him, basically, mm-hmm. and then put him on the activate his counterattack. And then every time he gets hit, which is pretty often, actually, <laughs> he will come back and hit back with a really pretty devastating attack. Yeah. I guess he has one of those punchable faces. Oh, no, he doesn't. He looks no. he looks very sweet. Oh, he does do us, but maybe the enemies don't like him. Uh, I guess so. Maybe dragons just aren't into him very much. <laughs> Aw. But, uh, so he ended up being kind of my MVP in that particular fight. Uh, though, I definitely got hit into desperation mode on multiple occasions. Mm-hmm. And the thing that's interesting about desperation mode is you will kind of be sweating it out <laughs> mm-hmm. because you hopefully have not used your heals the previous map uh the previous round because if you did you're kind of out of luck yeah like your character is going to die and uh i do not have the hackitude required to revive anybody <laughs> so if i lost somebody they were down mm-hmm. i love that word hackitude hackitude so uh have you had any trouble with the boss fights so far nadia 
Uh, not so far. I actually remember when I played the game the first time around, there was like a really big boss encounter. It was like four stories tall or something like that. Uh, and that gave me a hard time. But uh, this is a game also uh, that you can change the um, difficulty on the fly. Not that I really mm. did for that particular fight, but just if you are having a hard time and you need more time to get used to the systems, don't feel afraid to, to go back to easy for a little while. <laughs> yeah, I'm playing on agent difficulty at the moment. Yeah, me too. Uh, my understanding is that the highest difficulty level is quite difficult. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. People are like, don't play in the highest difficulty level. Okay. <laughs> I think you get more rewards, though, if you do play it. Uh, but overall thoughts so far? Uh, it's, a, it's a really good little <laughs> RPG. I feel like it got maybe a little bit overlooked in the uh, this year of great grand sweeping RPGs like Breath of the Wild, Persona 5, and the rest of them. So honestly, if you really want to go back to an, a game that honors its SNES roots without having the SNES tedium behind it, uh, and if you want a, a, an RPG that's brisk, which is, I think is important in this age of, again, 100-hour RPGs, you really, really, really can't go wrong. I only wish it was on the Switch. No <laughs> one else is new. Yeah, it doesn't sound like it's going to be on the Switch, uh, unfortunately. <laughs> um, yeah, the Vita version has been hard enough for them to be able mm-hmm. to port... And uh, it sounds like this, We, like I mentioned, we had Robert on here last year when this game came out, and it sounded like the game almost killed him. Yeah, it really sounds like you had a bit of a rough time with it. Well, I mean, it's so ambitious. It is. It's, it's a very, like, crazily very ambitious so. game. It's a gorgeous game. Mm-hmm, it's, mm-hmm. Uh, I know that when it launched, it had a number of bugs, mm-hmm. which was uh, unfortunate. But um, it, and... Unfortunately, the developers caught a fair amount of flack for that, as they do, because you get these teenagers who download it and then pronounce it garbage as soon as they run into technical yeah, problems. Yeah, and they just, but. like, hit up Steam and bomb it. And he ended up working on this game. He was working on this game for a long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, it was in development for a while. Yeah, it was in development for quite a while. It was, like, the fruits of their labor, so far, beautiful RPG mm-hmm. with great music. Oh, yeah. And... It uh, and so far the battle system is really interesting. I'm curious to see if it can find more levels of interest as the game progresses, mm-hmm. um, because I already feel like I'm kind of plumbing the depths of it. Mm-hmm. I think the thing that's interesting is when I was fighting that boss, I initially had a plan, but once I ran through my initial combos, you have to reset, kind of reset and retrench, and then start over again. Mm-hmm. And you have to keep going because it's way too easy to lose the thread. Yeah. And then suddenly you're in trouble because you're just hitting for minimal damage. And meanwhile, you're getting smacked and you're running out of heals and everything. It's it's a dance. It's, it, it's very much a dance. A waltz of death. <laughs> a waltz of death. But so that is the first episode of the Cosmic Star Heroin Report. And we will continue to be playing CSH uh, for the foreseeable future. Mm -hmm. And we'll see how far we get into the next one. And we'll be talking about it some more next week. All right, Nadia, as usual, we're going to check out the comments from the people from the last episode. Lots of discussion about which RPG we should be covering 
but basically one thing that jumped out at me uh when we were talking about our most anticipated rpgs of 2018 mm-hmm. ryan knoxville at knoxville 41 said how did you not have kingdom come deliverance on your list of most anticipated rpgs of 2018 as a huge fan of oblivion i'm really excited for kcd a more realistic rpg with a reading skill even that being said i love the show keep it up uh nadia how well how familiar are you with kingdom come deliverance not very i i have to admit i'm sorry it's crazy uh it's coming out next month Mm -hmm. and it might be almost a little too realistic for its own good Mm -hmm. uh so in this game they are very they are very concerned with hitboxes and that kind of thing right so if you're wearing a suit of armor Mm -hmm. they have a lot of armor and everything and just whacking at them isn't going to do a lot but if you say are able to stick their sword through the mask Ouch. and stab them in the face dead that'll do a little damage yes if you uh if there are archers who are able to get up to an elevation and fire down on people and hit them in the places between the armor it will cause them to bleed Mm-hmm. And they will probably bleed out. And it is such that archers can do a huge amount of damage in this game. Wow. That so, is quite realistic. Extremely so. And it's actually quite pretty, too. Mm-hmm. It's being made by a relatively small team. And it sounds like they just really, really go out of their way to have this sort of uber-realistic depiction of medieval life. Uh, yeah. It's... Skyrim, uh, it's this, it's similar to Skyrim, uh, first person perspective and everything, but much, 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 much deeper. Yeah, and there's like, a there's a great video actually of if you put on a full suit of armor, you'll be very slow. Uh huh. And here's the kicker: you you lower the visor, and the visor obscures your vision, which makes sense. Of course. I know, right? Yeah. That's uh, that's very interesting. It sounds like yeah, of course it's an RPG, but it really does sound like uh, like almost like a historical RPG. Mm. It sounds like one of the kind of German RPGs that often love to just punish you as hard as possible. <laughs> oh, those Germans! I could absolutely see this game catching on and becoming sort of uh, an indie darling, uh, especially mm-hmm. among hardcore RPG enthusiasts. And I think we should keep an eye on it. Yeah, it does sound like it has the potential to attract uh, an audience that's uh, very specific about those kinds of things. Like, let's face it, when we play Skyrim, I'm over here shooting like an idiot and like an an arrow goes through some monster's arm and they're dead. I'm like, yay! (laughs) So, (laughs) that's the height of mind. A certain uh, hardcore RPG element. Yeah, yeah. Perhaps the type that listened to this podcast. Yeah, yeah. Why not? Unfortunately, it seems to be PC only for the start, so you're not going to be able to play it, Nadia. Aww. But you can watch uh, Let's Plays of it or something. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds like it'd be the kind of game that'd be really fun to watch as a Let's Play. It's being published by Deep Silver. It's by a developer called Warhorse Studios. Oh, it's coming out um, on PS4 and Xbox One as well. We shall see. Uh, they they develop, are delivering it. On the Cry Engine, which is an interesting choice for an engine, uh, yeah. relatively beautiful for the most part. So, Crytek certainly used the money. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was crowdsourced back in um, February 2014, mm-hmm. and uh, now it is uh, finally coming out here. So, yeah, very exciting. Sounds good. All right. So, 
uh, another uh, FTL Mantis wanted to defend Shadow Valencia from my criticism. Uh-oh. FTL Mantis says, despite his problems, Shadow of, Man- Shadow of Valencia brought me back to Fire Emblem. After not being able to finish any of the Fates games, despite owning the special edition, absolutely hating Awakening, I played through SOV <sighs> twice and loved it the whole way through. I loved the variations on the gameplay that it brought back, much to my immense surprise. The new magic system with the wider variety of spells in particular was great. It showed me that part of the problem with the new games was that they played it too safe and that the small changes it made pairing up were just awful. I want the new FE game to make meaningful, fun changes, just like Shadow of Valencia did, but then actually put them on good maps. Should be doable in theory, but I fear they'll be sticking with what they know on the 3DS. Still, I'm still excited regardless. Yeah, I agree that there are a lot of really interesting and cool, uh, really interesting and cool gameplay changes on really bad maps. <laughs> <laughs> Can't have both, I suppose, at least not yet. I guess I mean, the maps are extremely simplistic and mm. a pain, frankly, a pain in the ass. Mm. Uh, my absolute favorite moment in that game was when I figured out uh, how to beam over, teleport over like some of my best characters to the back line and basically hack and slash my way uh, all the way to the enemy boss and take them out before God, before I could be flood, flooded by any more of those goddamn gargoyles or skeletons or whatever. Yeah. So, uh, Shadows of Valencia. I kind of want to go back to it, but I have too many games to play and I really want to finish Witcher 3. For the love of God, I need to push through on Witcher 3. I need to stop getting distracted so much. <laughs> you need to put it under your hat and say, I am done. This part of my life is over. Yeah, I yeah, that's how it is. Like Final Fantasy Fifteen Royal Edition got announced and we didn't talk about it. Son we talked about it on the we US Gamer podcast. podcast. <laughs> Mike said I thought this was a very meaningful thing for Mike to say. He said Final Fan you never thought Final Fantasy fifteen out would come out. Now it's coming out forever. <laughs> <laughs> that was great. That's a good line. That is an amazing line, and it's true. Final yeah. Fantasy fifteen is coming out forever, whether you like it or not. Until the end of time, folks. You want to got it. I was watching the I was watching the uh, the trailer for it, and I was like, "Oh, that looks fun! Yeah. Oh, look at all these new bosses and things to fight!" And it looks like it adds quite a bit. And oh man, you can cruise around on the boat. I bet they add a whole bunch of stuff there. Oh man, it looks like they're like really finishing the game up. That's cool. Yeah. I already beat this game. I don't want to beat it again. <laughs> yeah, that sounds about right. But uh, when you are in the games press, you just don't repeat. You don't repeat games. And no. that's the unfortunate thing, because once upon a time, when I was growing up, I played freaking Final Fantasy VIII into the ground. Oh, I, I played, played it so many times. I played Final Fantasy VI like, into the ground completely. Like I'd start a new game every week and try to finish it by the week's end. That was but very, very cool. Going back and playing a game that you've already played is difficult, to say the least. But mm-hmm. unfortunately, when you go back and play a game for a second time, you can't help but understand it better. And you discover... you find more and new and in, in interesting things and you yeah. learn more about it uh so uh, it's a tough compromise but god damn it i need to i need to play witcher 3 i need to finish witcher 3 it's it gotta to happen be in your veins. i put it in my veins <laughs> um uh cddb says please have nadia do a dark souls one report <laughs> <laughs> it'll be you a lot do of it, nadia <laughs> you could do it swearing I think that with the number of guides that are available on the internet at this point, 
that even you could beat Dark Souls. I probably could. You know, I'm I'm not anti-hardcore game by any means. Like I, I did really enjoy Salt and Sanctuary, which probably isn't as hardcore as like a 3D no. Dark Souls, but it was still it still had its challenges. We're gonna put you. We're gonna get Dark Souls on the Nintendo Switch, and we're just gonna get a running series. Can Nadia beat Dark Souls? <laughs> I might be able to. Have you beat you? You've never played Dark Souls. No, I have Bloodborne, and like I said, I haven't. I haven't mm. played it yet. I know Bloodborne's a little different, but just a little bit. Yeah. But yeah, it would be interesting to get you on Dark Souls Remastered on the Switch and mm-hmm. just be like, play it, play it. <laughs> Can I get up to go to the bathroom? No, no. Ah, oh, God, that reminds me when I worked for GamePro and we used to lock our reviews editor in the uh, <laughs> oh, demo no. room and make him play uh, games that were just coming out and he couldn't stop. He just kept playing. <laughs> wow, what did he do wrong? Like, it sounds like some sort of ancient Greek torture <laughs> that you do in the underworld. Well, during the during the fall release season, you need to get those games out as quickly as possible. You got to finish it by the review embargo. Sometimes you only had a couple days. Yikes. Ridiculous. Our job. Also, Cat, I love Strange Journey as well. And FYI, the SMT game Soul Hackers is the most similar tonal and otherwise IMO. You might really dig it. However, I never played the English version. I imagine the dub must be bad. Moochan says, I agree, SMT Nocturne is the best in the series, including Persona. But if you go come into SMT Persona now and try to play Nocturne, it's not a fun game to run. One major thing is the lack of control over skills that transfer over when you fuse. But another is the loss of the main character's skill with the demons you take in. So you could mistakenly lose a great skill not knowing you can never get it back. Ouch. And they also voted for Witcher 3, but alas, it did not happen. Sometime, sometime soon. Uh, and Satellite of Love says, It teaches one to plan and to endure loss. This is SMT Nocturne. The Vortex world would have no less survived to give birth to their reason. I have no idea what the heck that meant, but okay. It sounds like a line out of uh, SMT, that's for sure. Okay, so next week, Nadia, I think that we are going to, I don't know, we're going to definitely do another episode of Cosmic Star Heroine. We'll Mm -hmm. discuss any RPG news, but next week might be a good time to talk about some element of RPGs that we haven't necessarily talked. I mean, we could talk about good endings and bad endings. That'd be great. I'd love to do that, Uh, barring some... uh, mind-blowing news that might be released but uh yeah i don't mean like let's talk about the best endings in an rpg no i'm talking about the quest to get the good ending Mm -hmm. versus getting the bad ending Mm -hmm. like we just talked about (laughs) yeah which rpgs kind of handle it the best Mm -hmm. that sounds good so i think that'd be a fun thing to talk about next week and if you have any uh, thoughts uh initial thoughts on that maybe send drop me a line at usgamer at usgamer.net uh tweet at me on twitter at the underscore gabbot or send me a comment on the show notes acts of blood god is a us gamer podcast you can find us on itunes stitcher or wherever podcasts are sold google play all that jazz i'm on twitter as i mentioned at the underscore catbot nadia is on at nadia oxford we stream every tuesday and thursday at 11 a.m pacific 2 p.m eastern and uh, we play a lot of PUBG. But mm-hmm. we're branching out a little bit. Next week is Monster Hunter World. Oh, my God. we got to talk about Monster Hunter World next week. Nadia. Oh, well, sorry. Delayed. Womp, womp. We'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll keep that, we'll keep that uh, idea in our back pocket for the week Definitely. after, shall we? Let, let's. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So, we're going to be talking about Monster Hunter next week. Uh, I, I lied. Uh, we have our flagship podcast as well, uh, which it launches every Wednesday. So, subscribe to that. Uh, the U.S. Gamer Podcast. Nadia's on that one. 
Yes, I was. And uh, as I mentioned earlier, we talked a little bit about this open world mystery fable RPG that might be coming from Microsoft. We talked a little bit about Final Fantasy XV, and um, yeah, we, we had a, we had some nice chats. I can't remember what our main topic was off the top of my head. I don't think you really have main topics anymore. You guys have kind of your own. No, topics that's right. We, we speculated news. on what the direct was going to be. Yes, which turned out to be uh, cardboard. <laughs> it's kind of it's interesting cardboard though. Uh, my friend who has a daughter and has uh-huh. another daughter on the way Ooh. texted me and was like, I'm all in on this. This is, sounds like the most incredible thing to be able to play with my kids. And I was like, oh, yeah, right. Yeah, Duh. that's the thing. Some people are really mad about it. Like, this isn't Metroid. No, Nintendo said specifically that this is for kids and quote unquote people who mm-hmm. are kids at heart. And if nothing else, even if there's bombs like, like, like a nuclear explosion, I am so glad it is cardboard. It will disintegrate and everyone will be much happier than plastic garbage in the seas. Yeah, I mean, we're at the point where parents are gamers and Mm -hmm. parents are playing games with their kids. Uh, Mm -hmm. We're a far cry from even like 10 years ago. And yeah, we need games that parents can play with their kids in a way that's recognizable and easy to do. And Nintendo with their toy maker DNA just really understands that. I yeah. personally have no interest in this thing. I am not crafty in the least. Neither, I don't no. like papercraft. I have no interest in papercraft. This looks kind of boring to me, but it's not for me, and that is fine. Okay. Yeah, no, it is totally... You know what? I'm so happy that parents have it and kids will have it, but there are idiots saying, oh, Nintendo fanboys will buy anything. And it's like, no, I don't think most Nintendo fanboys care about this, except for the ones who have kids. Like, we're not all frothing at the mouth. Only some <laughs> of us. All right, Nadia, until next week, we'll see you again. And for Nadia myself, thanks for listening and happy adventuring.